Coming up, Caitlin and Randy talk to Dr. Tim Cranny and Martin Buckley about Zenworks Endpoint Security Management, a new product from Novell. Right now on Novell Open Audio. Welcome to Novell Open Audio, the podcast that connects the Novell user community with what's going on inside and around the Novell universe. I'm David Mayer, and with me is Randy Goddard. Hey, Dave. Randy, today you're talking about Zenworks Endpoint Security Management. Who do you have in the studio with you? Today, Caitlin and I interviewed Dr. Tim Cranny and Martin Buckley about Novell's new workstation security product. Hi, this is Randy, and welcome to Novell Open Audio. Here in the studio today, I have Caitlin Jans. Hi, welcome. Randy. How you doing? Well, thank you. It is our pleasure to have in the studio with us today Dr. Tim Cranny, Chief Architect from Sandforce. Good day. Hi. We are also joined by Martin Buckley, Director of Product Management for Zenworks. Hey. Welcome. Hey, thank you for having me. Don't you have a flashier title in that, man? A evil Zen scientist, What probably what the listeners to Open Audio know me as. So I was driving behind a car the other day, and I thought of you, Martin, and I, I had to check the license plate to see if it had the easy S on it again. Hey, that's my car. <laughs> Evil Zen scientist. Well, welcome. Thank you. Today we'll be talking about the Zenworks Endpoint Security Management product offered from Novell. What can you tell us about it, Martin? So thank you. Zenworks Endpoint Security Management, that's a bit of a mouthful. Uh, we announced this just a few days ago, as you probably saw, and it's really responding to the uh, the demands of our customers for securing those laptops that are in the wild. So we've entered into a partnership with Zenforce, and that's why Tim's here. Um, and we're offering Zenworks Endpoint Security Management, locking down Windows workstations wherever they happen to be. So give us big picture, whether it's you or, or Tim that answers the question. Give us a big picture as far as what are we trying to accomplish here? You say that our customers are demanding security for these laptops in the wild. What are they talking about? Well, I'll give a quick picture and then I'll hand over to Tim. You know, we've all got laptops. Everybody listening's probably got a laptop of some sort. And, uh, you know, they get stolen, they get lost, they enter into unknown environments, you know, outside of the corporate uh, firewall. Someone picks one up on the way through airport security. That's the one. And there's probably corporate data or personal data on there that needs securing. So the Zenworks Endpoint Security Management product will actually lock those points out, make it uh, so that the uh, laptop is not a risk when it leaves the building. So we include things like a personal firewall. We include, obviously, um, encryption of data. We include um, you know, blacklisting of uh, malware and unauthorized software. It really tries to get a grip on what's actually happening on that machine. And together with things like Zenworks, managing the desktop as well, and other areas of Novell security portfolio, really you can get a grip on everything about what that user does inside the firewall, outside the firewall, on the laptop, really doesn't matter where they are. So Tim, do you want to give us a quick overview of some of the uh, high-level features? Sure. To start off at a high level, what I'd say is that The Zenworks Endpoint Security Manager is a response to the way that security has changed in the last 10 years or so. For the last 30 years, security has typically been about putting a moat around your organisation, keeping the bad guys on the outside and the good guys on the inside. Now, those solutions like perimeter firewalls, perimeter scanning for viruses, etc., you still need those. They're never going to go away. 
but they're no longer adequate because now with the rise of form factors like notebooks and the rise of removable media and the rise of wireless, there's a whole range of security threats that can't be addressed with smarter or better infrastructure. The most obvious example of that is, as we just talked about, if you're at Starbucks and someone steals your laptop and runs away with it, who knows and who cares how good your infrastructure solutions are back at the corporate office? Or if I stick a thumb drive in your computer and download your list of customers? Or if I upload a virus? Or if I connect wirelessly in an ad hoc way? Or put up a rogue access point and try and fake you into connecting to that? These are all threats that have come about where you can't address them with better infrastructure. This is a really good point. We're in uh, the Provo offices today, and uh, we noticed uh, a new wireless network today. Um, there's the OpenSUSE Hackfest going on. There's a wireless network called OpenSUSE Hackfest here on campus. And I could have connected to that. It could have been stealing my passwords, my data. Who knows? And ZenWorks Endpoint Security Management will actually block that down. You can only approve access to certain networks. And that's just the wireless side of this. Sure. Another example is I was flying back from New York three days ago, and when we were at 25,000 feet, I opened up my laptop, and there were three official access points, one of them called T-Mobile. And I'm still suspicious that it wasn't really a T-Mobile access point. So if my notebook is used to seeing T-Mobile and by default will connect to that, in this case it was obviously someone trying to spoof people into connecting to it. So it was an attack, essentially. This is another case where it's a threat to that endpoint there and then, and you've only got two choices. You can either try and address that threat there and then or do nothing about it. You can't wait till you get back to the office and then fix it on the infrastructure. So what you need and what this technology gives you is an agent that lives on that endpoint and protects it 24-7 by actively enforcing the corporate security policy. That's okay. great. So we're talking an agent then that exists and lives on your lappy or on your, your mobile device. Mm-hmm. Or even on your desktop internally, if you wish. Okay. And that's a good point because I was, most of these threats are at their most obvious on the notebook. But with things like wireless and the way it dynamically changes the topology of your network, the workstations are just as much a threat as a notebook. And again, if you're worried about removable media bringing viruses in, that's just as much an issue for a workstation as it is for a notebook. The ZenWorks Endpoint Security Management, does that have any solution to take into account of things like Blackberries? Yeah, so right now this is uh, really targeted at the real risk area, which is Windows laptops and Windows desktops. For managing things like BlackBerry, we obviously have a partnership through GroupWise to manage the BlackBerry devices with the BlackBerry Enterprise Server or using ZenWorks Handheld Management. But ZenWorks Endpoint Security, straight on the Windows desktop. And another point to emphasize there, just reinforcing what Martin was saying, with security, what you want is multiple layers of defense in depth. So we're not saying this is the answer, you don't need the other things. This is, we think, a key ingredient in your overall security solution. And there are some things it does, and in some places it deliberately overlaps with other products, and there are some things it quite simply doesn't do and you rely on some other part of the overall suite. I was going to say one of the things that when you were just discussing things is that people should probably have BIOS passwords on their machines. Oh, so, And that, I, that's yeah. something that I'm assuming that you couldn't enforce and that that would be something that would have to be another part of a policy. One aspect of this solution is that it is not an identity management solution, so it doesn't deal with things like authentication, etc. It sits on top of the authentication and identity management offered by other parts of ZenWorks. So a question along those lines. You know, we've talked a lot about lappies and stolen you know, mobile devices and so forth. If somebody has physical access to a device 
and they're using, say, for example, a bootable ISO or a bootable mm-hmm. Linux distribution. So, say, for example, your laptop is sitting in your docking station at home or in an office. Somebody walks up and tries to steal data. What can we do to fix that problem? Exactly. Tim, do you want to talk about the, uh, the safe harbor and the encryption? Sure. There are two parts to this. One is that the enforcement is done through the agent living inside the kernel of the operating system. So you're right in saying that if they were to boot under Nopix or something else, many of the security mechanisms will no longer be active there and then. So what you've got to do at that point is rely on preemptive defences that were already put in place. So one of those, for example, is what you can do is encrypt the data on that device so that it is only accessible through the proper formal operating system so that if they were to boot under Nopix, then if they reach directly into the file system to try and grab mission-critical information, because they are not going through the operating system, they won't get access to the decryption that happens in real time. And all they would see is AES-256 encrypted gibberish. Oh, that's really nice. Yeah. Is there much of a performance hit with the encryption? It's quite low. Um, the modern, way we, modern laptops, you can't really tell. Sure. Most of the enforcement mechanisms in endpoint security management are done at the kernel level, which makes them transparent to the end user and very efficient. Geez, that's really cool. I like that idea a lot. Is that something that then is just enforced by default? We're talking a lot of policy and, and procedure type things here. How does that all fit into the, the big picture here? We've talked a little bit about the way that you can implement this, but what determines the level of security and the level of support here that you're going to give and, and apply to these endpoints? So there are two schools of thought on what should be enforced. One is, and this is a school of thought that came up from the consumer space, is that you should basically ask the end user what do they want to do, what do they want to allow, etc. That's got a couple of real downsides, the least of which is that you're constantly interrupting the end user. Now, this person is part of the organisation. You hired them to be a developer or an executive or an accountant or whatever. So if you're interrupting them every couple of minutes to ask them questions, you're introducing a real productivity hit. We didn't hire them to be their own personal security administrator, in other words. not only that, you're actually changing their role to being amateur security administrator. And in my experience, when you you look at what happens in the real world, 50% of the user population will click yes on any dialogue box that you put up, no matter whether you use the words dismemberment or whatever in the dialogue. (laughs) The other half will always choose no, no matter what you say in it. So... The problem is not only are you forcing them to stop doing their real job to become a security specialist, they can't do that job well. And even more fundamental, when we're talking about these sorts of things in the enterprise, what you need is a corporate security policy. And if all you've got is a bunch of end users finding their own way through the maze, you don't actually have a policy at all. What you've got is a cloud of good intentions that doesn't really count for anything. That's really interesting what you say. I remember with my personal firewall that I initially I, I thought it was really cool and I had it set to, to pop up every time there was somebody was trying to do a TCP connection to me or whenever some application was trying to run something. And it just sent these messages up at me all the time, so I just turned the darn thing off. <laughs> I'm like, I don't want to see it. <laughs> sure. So you were getting a productivity hit. Yeah. And it's likely mm-hmm. that you weren't getting all that good security because you were gave up. I just got so fed up. up with it. Yeah, I was just too busy doing other things. Sure. And I'm like, I'm done with this. And that is to some extent unavoidable in the consumer space. But if I was the security administrator for a 10,000 man or woman Thank company, <laughs> then I can't even talk about what the corporate security policy is. It's just a nebulous idea. 
So what we think the appropriate architecture is and what is implemented in this solution is there is a management interface where the security administrator or the chief security officer or someone who has the responsibility and the expertise will sit in a back room, consciously decide on the corporate security policy, capture that in the management console, and that well-defined concrete thing is then distributed to the endpoints, and that is what is enforced. So Tim's just talked about how we manage endpoint security by setting a policy globally. You know, the security administrator defines that, and you find the people that are different from that and set them up as exceptions to the rule. That's very similar to how ZenWorks works. So you basically define policy and define applications that go across the enterprise and find those people who are slightly different, the sales guy in Provo or the marketing person in Boston, and you give them something slightly different based on their business role. So these two are very, very uh, similar in the methods they use to actually enforce that known state on the machine. So I have a quick question that was just following along from the encryption on the local hard drive. You said it's not in the best interest to have users configuring it manually. Are they able to go in and actually say, hey, I want to add this portion of my data or this amount of my data and add it to this area so that it will be encrypted? Do they have that ability to add something to it? Yes, you do need to give the user some control over what data should be encrypted and what should not. Okay. More the ability to opt in than opt out. Yeah, that was but, what would make yes, sense it, to me. It is not, that is one part of the solution where you can't do that unilaterally and remotely. So the solution allows the security administrator to set the overall configuration and security state. So he decides what tools are active and how they should be used. And in some sense, the question is, what data do we turn this tool on mm-hmm. for? Yeah, that's probably an easier way of yeah. wording it. <laughs> yes. And we actually did a lot of market research, and I personally put together an extremely sophisticated architecture as to how there'd be dozens of different options as to how to configure this to give the ideal solution for what files are encrypted, what are not. And that actually turned out to be too complicated for for most people's tastes. So when we went to the market and tried to validate this idea, what they came back to us saying was, please keep it simple, stupid. In some cases, (laughs) using those words literally. So what they wanted is something which was simple, very easy to understand and easy to configure. But powerful enough to... Sure, because with security, complexity is an active enemy of security. So adding more bells and whistles and options and parameters and configurations doesn't just make the solution more graceful. It actively hurts you. So the way this solution works at the moment is there is a directory created on the hard disk, mm-hmm. and it will be at the, the root of every mounted disk. Mm-hmm. And anything placed in this designated directory will therefore be flagged for encryption and will be encrypted at that point. Oh, that's really nice and simple. So we're using location as the trigger for intent, effectively. Oh, that's easy. Yeah, no, that's great. Okay, cool. Now, just to talk very briefly about Roadmap, we have in this solution and in the encryption part of it a very sophisticated underlying layer of key management. We have the kernel-level crypto libraries to do the AES encryption, all these sorts of things. And what we're really talking about now is just what files are we tagging as needing encryption. So we've got this first solution, which is beautifully simple, but in the fullness of time, it'll be very easy for us to add features like all .doc files should be encrypted or all files of this age or all files of this quality or size should be encrypted. How about user-specific files? Can Do you also see in the future as far as for being able to encrypt files that are owned by a particular user as well? Any sort of information like that that the kernel-level drivers can see can be used as a crypto decision point. So, yeah, that would be easy to do. Very cool. Great. 
Another point is that it would be relatively easy as a roadmap item to trigger encryption based on the content of files. Now, that's not trivial because you have to worry about performance issues, but in principle there's no fundamental objection to saying find any new file or as a file is created, check to see if it has a social security number in it just by doing a regex check. And if so, you could flag that for encryption. So we do not have that today and we it's not a short-term roadmap item, but because of all the architectural plumbing already in place, it's certainly doable. That sounds cool. Okay, so we've talked a lot about some of the features of the product and what problem it's trying to solve. Knowing the Novell Open Audio listeners, I think they deserve some deeper dive in architecture. How about that? Oh, I'd like to hear about it. I know you do. And one of the things we will touch on especially for you is how this will integrate with your Novell e-directory, your identity infrastructure, and uh, you know, really maybe some discussion about the future, Tim. We can talk about maybe you know what we do beyond the Windows platform. Sounds okay? good. So I'll let Tim lead on the, uh, the architecture. Sure. So the shape of the architecture is forced by the features that we talked about before. So the enforcement is purely on the endpoint. So there's no requirement for a heartbeat or a connection back to the network. So if someone tries to put a thumb drive in a managed device while that notebook or workstation is in a Faraday cage on the other side of the world, it will still be protected and still be forced to comply with the corporate security policy. So just to be really clear on this, online, connected to the corporate network, sort of online, working from home or a wireless hotspot, or totally offline, working on a plane, at all points we're protecting the machine. That's true, and something that we'll probably circle back to later, the solution and the agent is actually smart enough to make distinctions between those different scenarios and apply the right security policy for those different circumstances. Mm-hmm. Really? Now, well, that's, that's, that's making an assumption that it's gotten all of the latest updates For example, the security administrator initially says, oh, yeah, you can use whatever USB device you desire on your laptop. They push that policy out to current users that are logged into the network, and the agent then gets that policy update. Then I take my lappy, I go elsewhere, and I start plugging in devices. In the meantime, while I'm gone on my vacation, the policy is updated. What then? Well, that's a good question. One of the implicit assumptions that you've made is that you have to be on the network to get a policy update. And that would be a little bit inconsistent because As I said earlier on, one of the driving forces behind a need for this technology is mobility. If we didn't have mobility, then all the workstations would be behind the corporate perimeter and they'd be safer. There wouldn't be mobile data on thumb drives and there wouldn't be mobile connections with wireless. So mobility is the cause of a lot of these issues. And so if we had a solution that could only be updated in the non-mobile context, it would be a little bit hypocritical. And the way we avoid that is the agent does not need to be connected to the corporate network to get a policy update. So so long as it's got connectivity of some sort, and you've exposed the server, you can get the updates. Fair enough. So mobility is the cause of the problem, but it's also, in large part, the solution to the problem as well. So that takes us directly into the architecture. Well, the other thing I'll touch on first, the point you made about allowing all USB devices up front and then changing the policy to lock it down, 
that's actually the opposite of what we generally recommend. We'd recommend having a security policy that's actually pretty robust and only allowing a certain set of devices, for example, to be plugged in and blocking all iPods, for example, so you can't use it as a data theft device or something like that. Yeah, I was just going to ask about that. Can we just, with USB, are we able to differentiate between different types of USB devices? Because you might want to be able to use your mouse but not allow somebody to use an iPod. That's a very good question. And the way we attack it, I think, is the right way, which is with removable media, the fact that it's USB or whatever is actually irrelevant. No one cares about USB. They're worried about the storage capability. Mm-hmm. So this solution does not really care about the fact that it's USB. It actually controls mountable, removable media at the file system level. So oh, what happens okay. is the agent has multiple components, some of which sit in the communication stack and control things like packet flow and wireless, etc. But other components sit in the file system stack and control how, where, when and why you can access file on the hard drive or on removable media. So the upshot is this solution gives the security administrator complete control over all forms of removable media, whether it be iPod, digital camera, smartphone, PDA, photo printer or whatever, but it doesn't know and it doesn't care about USB mice and keyboards because they're not storage devices, they're just USB things that we don't care. That makes sense. So the policy would be you can plug in mice, keyboards, wireless feet warmers, whatever you see that's basically out there, USB toe warmers, I don't care. But if you plug in, you know, your your iPod that's banned, or you plug in a four gig removable USB drive, or you plug in a firewire thing that's blocked by policy, nothing is dead. You know, we're basically not letting you basically use that as a data theft device or an input point for uh, viruses or malware. So, you, you know, both of you are happy now in terms of we're blocking your ability to actually you know, bring in bad data or take out bad data, but also you're able to use your favorite gadgets on your machines. So back to the architecture, Tim, I think we got as far as uh, talking about the server. Sure. So as we I said... I actually hadn't finished, you know. Oh, I still I'm had sorry. another question. You know, I'm the interviewer here. <laughs> Smack upside head. So you were referring to the different control levels that we have, that we have something in the file system level, and then we also have something in the communi- communication stack. So... Do you actually see, when you have a look at your processes that are running, do you actually see the agent running? Are you able to terminate the agent in any way? It doesn't sound like you'd be able to, but I'm just trying to clarify my understanding of this. That's a good question, because when you think about it, we're giving the security administrator the ability to decree actions and control the end user. So that whole story would be badly weakened if after the security administrator says, thou shalt do this or thou shalt not do that, yea, verily, if the end user could then turn it off or put it to sleep or go around it or do anything like that. Exactly, yeah. So we saw that coming as an issue very early on, and the solution has extremely sophisticated client self-defense, we call it, so to prevent even a privileged user on that box from being able to kill processes or unbind drivers or hack the registry or do anything to get around the enforcement. So even if a privileged user has local host control over that box, they won't be able to turn the enforcement off or to get around it. We will either completely prevent that from happening at the time or repair it in real time or in the more extreme cases put the box back into a known good state and just power cycle it out from underneath them no matter what they do. So that all of that information is logged in the event logs? Yeah, the solution is not just a matter of policies flow from the core of the enterprise out to the endpoints and that's the end of the story. The solution contains a fairly rich 
feature set of reporting and audit tools. So those sorts of events are captured on the endpoint and it stores and forwards that information back to the management framework and the security administrator can pull up a wide range of reports saying at 2.43 this person tried to do that and was uh-huh. blocked, tried to use this form of removable media and was blocked, etc. So i got a question. Perhaps Martin might be best to answer that. Does this hook in with Sentinel at all? It will do in the future. Okay. Because at the end of the day, this solution in isolation pulls information in and drops it in a SQL database. So it's... At the fundamental technical level, it's trivial to grab that via some adapter and just shove it into Sentinel or anything else. And also from the local client, the event logs and uh, log scraping can also go into the Sentinel client as well. And um, just as a sidebar, we're also working on Sentinel integration with Zenworks as well. So there's a lot of things we're doing with the Sentinel team. Okay, that sounds really good. Somebody can ask a question if they want. We've, and we've I'll been think almost about what talking I've... about the architecture. Almost for, back to the architecture. For 20 minutes. Like well, if, otherwise, it? I don't say anything. If I don't get all my questions in, then I forget, and then the opportunity's gone. So I'm like, now I'm like, button it. <laughs> it's a good time. <laughs> so we were talking about architecture, Tim. Where were you? It was so long ago. <laughs> Third time round. Sure. Don't so, blame me. <laughs> So the architecture reflects the feature set we were talking about before. There's a back-end management console where the security administrator can sit and define the corporate security policy. So what kind of console is that? It's a Windows management console. Okay. So at the moment, it's not a web interface, but that would, I expect, be a relatively short-term roadmap item. Sounds good. So the decisions that the security administrator makes are captured in XML and they need to be distributed to the endpoints where they're actively enforced. So, as we said before, all the enforcement is on the endpoint, and it doesn't need any connectivity or awareness of its environment. It's all done there and then on the box. So one of the utilities would be Zenworks to possibly distribute the policies. Would that be an option, or there's other ways to do that? You, You can use that. The solution has its own native distribution mechanism, but at the end of the day... The distribution mechanism is actually the least interesting part of the whole story. The decisions that the administrator makes, captured in XML, we compress and encrypt that, and one way or another, we need to get that policy blob to the endpoint. And at a at the end of the day, I honestly don't care whether it's done via Zenworks native solution or via the solution's internal distribution mechanism or email, for heaven's sake. Just get the policy to them and it will be absorbed and implemented. So when you say absorbed, is it something that they actually have to run a little install application or is it something that they can just, say, apply? Or I imagine it's just the XML file, like uh, Tim said. It's just the so XML yeah. file that's been encrypted so and compressed. So to the end user, this is totally transparent. They, they get updates regularly while they're online basically with you know, refresh policies if the, if the administrators do. But what about work. the initial install? I'm thinking if somebody had to roll this out on mass to people and the users all had to go and click install for 10,000 users. Oh, so you're meaning about installing the client? Yeah. So the recommendation for that, if you're a Zenworks customer, deliver the client using Zenworks? Okay, that's where I'm getting mixed up. Okay, so we need to distribute the client first with, with something like Zenworks and then we just have a very small XML file, the encrypted file that is our policy that's then distributed. Correct, that's right. Cool, got it. Yeah. So, so you know, the- just like any other endpoint management tool, you know, we're managing, you know, with Zenworks patch management or Zenworks endpoint security management or even distributing the, the Sentinel client out to a Windows machine. We can do all of that distribution very cleanly using Zenworks desktop management. And above and beyond that, in terms of the actual updates of the security policy, what happens in practice is that when a security administrator is learning how to use this tool, there'll be a flurry of small policy changes in the first couple of days while they're learning. 
But after that, once they capture the corporate security policy, these tend to be fairly static things. If an organisation is changing its core security policy every couple of hours or days, they've got bigger troubles than whether the agent is downloading things. But what happens is with the policy distribution issue and with the enforcement issue and with everything to do with this technology, we're taking the end user out of the equation. They don't need to do anything or make any decisions. It's all done for them. I like that. It's like the old days where the admin is king. (laughs) So just to recap on the architecture, we've got Windows Server running the core Zenworks endpoint security management features. That's generally where the console will run, but you can run it from elsewhere if needed. And then that will connect to a SQL Server database, a Microsoft SQL Server database. And then in your network, you have managed devices, Windows workstations, Windows laptops, running a small endpoint security management client, the security client, and that receives the updates via policy. And it can do that as long as it has external connectivity from anywhere in the world. So what will happen is if you have an end user of your organization sitting in an internet cafe in Bucharest, so when you open up that laptop in the cafe, it will phone home, check to see if there's anything new, and if not, continue to enforce the current policy forevermore. Mm -hmm. So you could actually capture the corporate security policy, distribute it to the endpoints, and then format that server and go back to using it for solitaire. (laughs) The enforcement will carry on forevermore on the endpoints. Oh, that's nice in case that server crashes or something like that. Exactly. So that's really good. The health and status of the back end has nothing to do with the ongoing enforcement of security on the endpoints. You want that back end for the management and the reporting and all those sorts of things, Mm -hmm. but there's zero real-time dependency on that. Yeah. So the other piece we probably need to talk about for our listeners is how we integrate with eDirectory. Sure. A couple of points here is that when you have a tool like this that lets a security administrator capture a very fine-grained security policy across a whole range of security features, you very quickly realize that there is no such thing as the right corporate security policy. Because at the end of the day, in a big organization, you've got normal staff members, you've got receptionists, executives, accountants, developers, salespeople. All of these people have fundamentally different jobs and different threat profiles from a security perspective. And so you cannot find the one-size-fits-all policy. So what this tool gives you, or gives the security administrator, is the ability to create different policies for different people. And by hooking into the identity repository, whether it be eDirectory or Active Directory, target policies at either individuals or machines or groups or OUs or any level of container you like. So it's easy for the security administrator to say, this is the developer policy. Mm. Now, the developers will need to run an IDE, but you don't want your secretaries running an IDE and you don't want your executives running some software, but you do want your salespeople running it. And so by targeting policies at the appropriate person, you can do security in a more graceful way where each person can do everything that they're supposed to do but not the things that are dangerous. Yeah, and there's some cool things you can do with that as well. Look who travels. Salespeople, executives, you know, on the road a lot. You know, give them the more robust lockdown so they don't get hacked and give them the encryption so that any personal or confidential data isn't compromised if the laptop gets stolen. On the other hand, somebody working in the office you know, five days a week, probably doesn't need that level of security because there's already, you know, a tethered workstation fixed to the desk. You know, there's exterior security and perimeter security in place. You know, different policies for different people. And that's exactly what the integration with eDirectory gives us. And another point that Martin makes is that just as there's no one right policy for everyone, 
in a mobile world, you can't even talk about the one right policy for a given person. So imagine you've got someone with mission-critical information, they've got strategic plans, they've got customer lists, etc. When they're sitting on the corporate network, they're probably pretty well protected by perimeter firewalls, etc. But if that person just stands up, takes their notebook with them, doesn't even put it to sleep, but crosses the road to Starbucks, it's still the one person, it's still the same notebook, and it hasn't even gone to sleep. But just by crossing the road, they've gone into a completely different world with a fundamentally different threat profile and business profile. So what you want, and what this technology gives you, is an agent which is smart enough to recognise when the circumstances change, and when you go to Starbucks, it can lock that device down in a much more rigid way than it might do back on the corporate network. So that happens all automatically, right? Everything happens automatically because so at the end of the day, you can't ask the end user to announce when they're going to Starbucks by clicking a button or so on. It just won't happen. So if you were trying to troubleshoot it, I'm taking it there's no notification that's given to the user, but is there some kind of entry that's put in, say, the application logs under the Windows event stuff, the services stuff? That's actually all configurable. By default, the philosophy is to minimize the engagement with the end user because you don't want to announce to them mm-hmm. what has changed, etc. But we can, in subtle ways, indicate where, when their security policy has changed because of a location change. And that can be made overt if you want, or it can be kept quite subtle, or it can be made invisible. With this solution, with this aspect of the solution, and actually with the entire product, the intent is not to make people do things the Novell way. It's giving them a very flexible tool so they can capture their security policy and do the right thing their way. Yeah, I'm just thinking of a troubleshooting perspective. I'm like, what happens if someone starts running into issues and I'm trying to figure out which policy is actually running? It, that that's, can be done that very was, easily. Yeah, that's what yeah. you just answered, so that sounds great. Yeah. So with troubleshooting... That sort of information is readily available, but it's not in your face from the end user's perspective. Yeah, that's great. So, Tim, this sounds very Windows-centric at this point. What sort of uh, plans do we have on the roadmap now for uh, other platforms? Well, do you want me to take that? I'll talk about some of the uh, platforms. So, obviously, um, the announcement we made a few days ago is talking about the Zenworks Endpoint Security Management. That is for Windows. It runs on Windows and manages Windows. But you know, we see from our customers the biggest threat is from Windows devices, you know, having Windows laptops on the road. So we're trying to squarely address that problem today. Longer term, you know, we already have solutions from Novell that try and address these problems on Linux already. So we have things like AppArmor, we have things like encryption on the file system on Linux. You know, there are multiple areas built into Linux itself, which make it a much more robust and secure platform than Windows anyway. Anything you want to add on that, Tim? I would just add that because the enforcement is done quite deep in the kernel, so, for example, when we control packet flows, we're not talking about something up at the top of the stack. We're talking about using Indus Intermediate Miniport drivers to filter traffic. So that makes the solution more robust and more efficient, but it also makes it very OS kernel-specific. So that's why it's a, a genuine development project to port this to other platforms rather than just being a matter of porting an application, for example. Fair enough. Thank you. Thank you. Well, Tim Cranny from Senforce, thank you very much for joining us. Thank you. And Martin Buckley, thank Thank you again as well. It's a pleasure. Thank you.
Thanks to Dr. Tim Cranny and Martin Buckley for joining Caitlin and Randy. That's it for this show. Remember that Novell Open Audio is brought to you by Novell Users International in conjunction with Novell Incorporated. Remember, most of our content is directed by our listener community, so please send us your requests and comments by leaving them at novell.com slash openaudio or by emailing us at openaudio at novell.com. That's it for this time. We'll see you next time.